0: As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction. In the moment you're stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never going to give up, give up.
1: You're listening to The Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio.
2: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank Harry for the production on the show and uh, Tom Ficklin for allowing us to guest host and talk about our topic today about what's good in the community. And our first guest today is the very, 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 very great, intelligent, beautiful, and amazing. Uh Director of Health for the City of Bridgeport, uh, Ebony Jackson Shahidi. How you doing there, Ebony?
3: Fine, fine. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, glad to have you. Glad to have you. So um I, I reached out to you and I wanted to get a chance, you know, to talk about some of the work that you're doing in the city of Bridgeport. Um, I know some of the things we briefly talked about were around the um the importance of the health assessment in neighborhoods and the community, um, and I think that deals with some of deals somewhat with the uh, social determinants of health. And um, I was wondering if you could just quickly or briefly talk about, you know, what the social determinants of health are.
3: So um, the community health needs assessment—it uh, just came out, the new one uh, for 2022. So we're very excited that it's here. Um, HIA, um, along with uh, Yale University or uh, Data Haven, they put out this information um, through a series of uh, surveys um, and basically you know, organizations, community organizations, um, city organizations use this information to be able to uh, create better programming because we have data that has been collected on the actual needs of the community. Um, So it really, the CHNA tracks uh, the health and well-being of community, and it monitors the social uh, and environmental factors that influence our health outcomes. Um, So I think for 2022, um, what was interesting about this community health needs assessment, as opposed to the one that was done in 2018, is that it was a little bit uh, easier for the community to be able to read this one Um, I think the last community health needs assessment was very data heavy. Um, So basically somebody who was a statistician or an epidemiologist probably would would have been very excited about the last one, Uh, um, where this one, not to say that the data um, doesn't mean the exact same, but it just, it was easier for any community member, regardless of your scientific background, to be able to read the information and interpret exactly what it means. So I think um, this community health needs assessment would will be a little bit more effective when it comes to the community being able to understand what some of these social drivers of health actually means and how it impacts them in their community. So I think um, some of the things that we're focusing on uh, at the Bridgeport Health Department and really just trying to um, get across to the community, we started this Black History Month um events, series of events. And we basically um, use the community health needs assessment as our basis of information um, to basically talk about some of the things that have already been impacting the black and brown community. And then, you know, just using this as a visual so that they can actually see like, oh, wow, there's, there's some real serious data behind some of the things that we're going through in day to day life. And so the things that we've been focusing on have been like education access and quality, healthcare access and quality, economic stability, um, some social and community child well-being, um, so, and then
2: those will be Zach,
3: considered.
2: The, those will be considered the five tenets of uh, social determinants of health, right? The, the things you just listed off: the neighborhood both- and built uh, environment, and social and community context.
3: Exactly, exactly. Um, neighborhood and built environment. So it's, it's just uh, some other ways of saying those things. Um, but this is what we have been focusing on. And to be honest, it's been it's been very beneficial. Um, we had our first event on the third. Uh, our second one was on the tenth, so it was this uh, last Friday. and we have our third event coming up on Friday the 17th. This one will be talking about beat the odds. And we're just talking about beating the odds with increased education, whether that's formal or trade, um, building on our economic stability, talking about financial literacy, homeownership, and entrepreneurship. And I think some of those uh, terms, people say, well, what, what exactly does that have to do with health outcomes? But I think when you look at this community health needs assessment, there has been a thread. And that thread has been the lack of educational attainment, specifically in Bridgeport. And how that is affecting the health outcomes of the community. And um, I think you know, in our first event, uh, we had a lot of parents, and you know, they were they were kind of shocked um, because I think sometimes they don't put two and two together. Um, mm-hmm. But our educational attainment basically is a it's a determining factor to where we can live, the community we thrive in the food that we eat, the healthy decisions that we make when it comes or healthy choices that we make when it comes to food. Um, it really is a, a big determining factor into even the length of time that you will live. And so um, it, it's just really important to get to the root of some of these issues, um, a, a special health issues, and, um, and really start talking about them, even if they're uncomfortable. Um, and so um, we're really excited for this upcoming one. Um, it's going to be at Kindred Thoughts Bookstore, by the way, from 4 to 6 uh, p.m. If anybody wants to go ahead and come out and, and join us for that.
2: Yeah, if you can get me that information, you'll uh, definitely be glad to blast it out. Also, you mentioned in this one you were going to be talking about the important role of entrepreneurship. Um I know with the program uh that I'm working with and, and running with the Mars Initiative for Reentry Affairs here in Bridgeport, we've partnered with the University of Bridgeport um to provide some funding for re- for the re-entry population uh to 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 be taught and, and receive credits at the University of Bridgeport for entrepreneurship program. They just graduated their first couple of cohorts so I I think entrepreneurship and and you mentioned education is very important, but you also did not say that, you know, in regards to education, that everybody needs to go to college because college may not be for everyone. Mm -hmm. We have different roles and different avenues uh, for people. I think um, one of the things that, when when you're talking about the social determinant of health and those those five key categories around it, uh, the non medical factors that influence health outcomes. Are conditions in which people are born, grow, work, live, Mm -hmm. how they age. Um, There are a wide set of factors um, that can sustain health that a lot of people don't necessarily take into account. You want to talk a little bit more about that?
3: Sure. Um, Well, first, I want to say uh, what you were talking about with entrepreneurship. I think it's really important that um, there is a program for that at UB, right? And that people are actually seeking that program out because I think. One of the things that we do in our communities is when we talk about entrepreneurship, that means just I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to start selling things or I'm just going to create a business without really having the formal knowledge of how to set up a business. And that's why you know a lot of businesses fail because you don't have, you're not educated on that specific area. It takes it. it, it there's actually a method <laughs> to, to owning a business. It's not you know just as simple as you know going into business for yourself and, and, and just putting out products. It actually, you should, you know, either take a course, you know, there are a lot of self-help, you know, YouTube videos. There's things that you can do to educate yourself about being an entrepreneur. So I think that that's really, really important. Um, so thanks for bringing that up in terms of some of the, the um, other variables uh, that contribute to health outcomes. Um, when we're talking about social and community or neighborhood and built environment, it is really important, um because those are some things that, you know, in this country that have been set up for a long time for certain communities. There's just certain things that certain communities have been dealing with. Um, and it, we've been dealing with it on a daily basis, and it is essentially harming us. We've seen this a lot in during COVID. I think that for this country, this is one of the first times on a large scale that um, health disparities were brought to the limelight. You know, obviously for us, those who are working, you know, in municipalities or for nonprofit organizations, we already know this, right? These are things that we've been working on forever. But when we actually were faced with it during COVID and people were saying, or uh, people in powerful positions were saying, what's going on? How come, you know, the black and brown community um, are dying, you know, um, at a higher rate than others? What What is really going on? And I think what they were seeing is some of that systematic health racism that has been happening in the country for a while. And so, unfortunately, um, a lot of the redlining that has happened in the country, a lot of things, you know, um, where our school systems aren't the best, we're not getting the best education, our health care quality is not the best or people are not able to access the, the health care that they actually need um, because they're underinsured or not insured at all because they're working at jobs which really don't provide them with the level of insurance that they need we're seeing all this impact, right? And so that has already been happening. But when you throw on a pandemic on top of all that, it basically exacerbated everything. Right. And-
2: so you have, you have, so you have, so in the Black and brown community, you have the issue of the um, underlying factors of higher blood pressure. Uh, yes. Diabetes, all these other underlying factors that increase um, morbidity and mortality with uh the, the pandemic, then you also, I think you you, more um, you most of all would know about just kind of the howling out or the lack of resources that for years that have mm-hmm. been away from the uh the public health system.
3: Yes, you know it's 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 interesting when we talk about that because that's that's part of what we do. We fight for you know, um, in increasing public health funding, you know, but sometimes, um, you know, unfortunately, we may get the short end of the stick. And so therefore, you know, it shows, it shows in some of health outcomes in in communities. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do now is we're trying to educate the community and say that even though, you know, Um, you may feel that the stacks are, the chips are stacked up against you. There are things that you can do to change your own narrative. And it's about, you know, being accountable for self and controlling what you can in your own environment. So we're talking a lot about, you know, your, your home, what you can do at home, right. To, to make a better environment for you, for your children, you know, being able to choose your food. Right. Because even if you have a couple of dollars, there are still you have a choice. Even if you go to McDonald's, you have a choice. Can you for breakfast? Are you going to get the uh, cheese and and egg and and bacon biscuit or are you going to get the oatmeal? Mm -hmm. There are there are options. There are things that you can do to make healthier choices so that your outcomes are more are more positive.
2: Oh, so I know that some of the things that the city of Bridgeport uh, has partnered with or is doing too, and not currently right now, I don't believe, but you have the farmer's market. You also do some screening and testings at the farmer's market as well, correct?
3: Yeah, we do. So um, we we have a grant, uh, which we it's basically um, knowing your numbers. Um, and we basically go out into the community and we take we do blood pressure screenings, preventative screenings. Uh, for uh, individuals Um, and basically it's important for them to know their numbers because black and brown people um, do have a higher risk of blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes. Um, So it's important that there are certain things, uh, vitals, that are identifiers for certain conditions and so blood pressure is definitely one of them. So it's important to know your numbers. We do have programs such as the farmer's market Um, The farmer's market basically introduces a variety of different fruits and vegetables to the community where they can come out and buy these things at a cheaper price. Um, You know, they're they're actually Bridgeport is amazing because it's not just farmer's markets that we have here. There are actual there's an actual farm here. Um, right? Um, And people don't really know about the reservoir farm. Um, That farm is also open to community members too. You know, they can go and get a a nice little lot and they can grow their own fruits and vegetables. Um, They can get the help of the farmers from local organizations that, you know, help them or, or teach them about how to grow certain foods and vegetables in different climates. So, I mean, there are some really, you know, awesome organizations here in Bridgeport that are really trying to pave the way for some alternative um, uh, health methods. And and I think it's important that we take advantage of, of those opportunities.
2: I, I would agree, because you just uh, shared some knowledge with me that I didn't have myself. Um, I think it would be great for people to get back to, you know, I, my understanding of uh, some of the migration a lot here in New Haven, Hartford, Bridgeport, you know these places a lot of people migrated from the south and um that farming knowledge has seemingly disappeared so getting the understanding of how to you know grow things in this climate which you know is cold right now it's winter or having access to that farm um uh, and, and the technical advisement from folks in the, the city of bridgeport and the department of health I think that's some some great information i i looked I'd like to get uh, more information about that so we can share that with the folks here.
3: Yeah, definitely. No, um, I actually went out to the farm and I was so surprised. I mean, it's literally in the middle of the community. It's like walking like you're in South Carolina or down south. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's literally a plot of land. They they have rows and rows of vegetables. They have herbs. They have a nice greenhouse. We actually got to taste some of the vegetables that were growing there. I mean, these are these are organic products um, and it was absolutely delicious. Um, they also do programming uh, programs with some of the schools. Right. So they have, you know, a lot of the children come over and learn how to farm. I think it's important too when, it, when we're talking about sustainability. Right. And moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone should should have, you know, or, or grow herbs in their backyards or, or in their homes. No, because it helps with food security as well. So I think that that knowledge is really important. We definitely will make sure that you you know, get that information and that you can put it out there on your platform as well.
2: All right, great. So with our closing moments, I can't believe how fast this 20 minutes just went. I know. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on here again. Is there any parting words or advice you want to share uh, focusing back in on the social determinants of health and that um, health uh, access and assessment?
3: Uh, well, I do want to share some parting words. Um, I think it's, it's. I know people are tired of me talking about COVID all the time, but it is talking about some of that, um, just to let people know that uh, at moving forward, we are now in the stages where we are living with uh, this disease. And, you know, it's just a reminder that we still need to be cognizant that it is, it is out there. Um, and that we are also, you know, dealing with other respiratory illnesses on top of COVID, uh, like increased flu, especially this year was really crazy with increased flu. RSV came back with a vengeance. Um, just making sure that you're protecting yourself and your children. Um, there are vaccines out there. So if there's vaccines, you know, available in your community, take advantage of those. Um, and just watch out for programming that's happening in your area. Um I know we're doing the Black History Month series here, but we are doing other events moving forward um, when it comes to uh, health and environment. Um, we do have our social services division. So they are looking to do some financial literacy courses um, as well as, you know, other programming. I, I just think that people should stay on our social media, stay on the city website for, and look out for city events as well, because there are lots you know, of educational opportunities coming to the community.
2: I agree. We have several uh, programs coming up for Black History Month in the reentry department over here, as well as uh, financial literacy uh, for um, the reentry population as well. So looking forward to talking with you more, uh, Ms. Ebony. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Have a wonderful day.
3: Thank you for having me. You as well.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We have with us today um, James Jeter, who is one of the co-founders of, and I always mess this up, uh, Full Citizens Coalition, as well as many other things, uh, great work you're doing in the community, sir. Um, wanted to talk with you today. Um, our topic is what's good in the community. So I wanted to hear from you and some of the work that you guys are doing uh, throughout the state. Um, I know you guys have been some information on the uh, gerrymandering and, and um, for individuals that were in prison and how that impacted uh, the, the community and statewide. Um, and then you guys also recently started um, the Frontlines documentary. I'd like to hear more about that. And if you want to, um, you know, toot your own horn, because sometimes we don't get a chance to, let us know what you're doing, what you're about, where you're from. Yeah. Um...
1: I'm James Jetter. I'm uh, born and raised in New Haven. Um uh resident of Hartford right now. I've been an implant for about six years. Um, so uh, the Full Citizens Coalition was uh, started by Kernard Ray. Um he pulled me in early, and um we, we've been you know pursuing some uh, legislative advocacy uh, around disenfranchisement. So um we started off with uh, phony Fel, uh, pro disenfranchisement. We're uh, able to pass that bill in 2021. Right now, we currently have uh, a house bill in House Bill 5702, which is a rest- uh, bill to restore the voting rights to all incarcerated persons. Um, And uh, we're hoping that, that this is the year that,
2: that that means that people can vote even while they're in prison, even,
1: even while they're, even
2: they're in prison.
1: Even even. Yeah. So there's no, you know, uh, eliminate disenfranchisement completely. Um, the report that you're talking about is a report that we co-authored with the uh prison policy initiative. And um what it what it highlights in this report is where people in Connecticut who are in prison live. And you know, this is only uh possible because of the the ending of uh prison gerrymandering in Connecticut. And what it shows is that in concentration, you know, it's our it's our uh black and brown our urban spaces, it's it's the the neighborhoods that um HUD has defined as racial and ethnic uh concentrated areas of poverty. It's it's the neighborhoods that are most over policed and under-resourced. And um so we when you have communities like that, you know, the extraction of people is the greatest resource in the community. Those, those communities are caught in um this intergenerational disenfranchisement, and it be it it, it sits in the community and, and in order... Yeah, but well, it, it's it's into the communities in, in a very disengaged way. Like there's um, there, there's there's no engagement even amongst those who aren't in, who aren't in the system. Like we don't believe that uh there's any reason to vote, you know. And in, in, in large swaths, we don't believe that that's a thing anymore. And um, our lives are completely structured by that.
2: Or go up to the uh the state capitol and protest or lobby.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and to do it as, as an electorate, to do it as someone who's 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 able to say that no, I I turn out with my community. We we we're gonna put somebody or take somebody out of these positions. And we're here, you know, and um that's that's where our communities have um have lost. Other communities have figured it out. They advocate in a particular way, they get far more resources, they uh they stop things from happening in the community, they don't wanna happen, they don't want to happen. Um, people fear the loss of their job. You know, like they understand that in order for me to have this position, these people got to keep me in this position. And so those people become their constituents. They become the ones they they advocate on behalf of. And we, we tend to lose in those areas. Um, and, and, and so it's important that um our communities, um I, I, we believe at, at the very root of where that's happening at, um, to be re-enfranchised and, and to maintain their rights and to maintain that connection to community. community. Um, allowing uh, men and men in, incarcerated to vote gives them an ownership over the neighborhood they've never experienced. I mean, they, they have the time right now to process uh, what this means and how they can do it, where a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have the time to really slow down and think through uh, the theory of democracy. You know, like What is it that this country is supposed to be? What is it that... These laws are supposed to do. Um, how effective is voting, and where is it most effective? And we'll see it for us in particular. It's most effective locally, like in, in in our mayoral and our our mayoral races, our council and alderman races, and you know pushing on these 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 other state seats,
2: local municipalities, state representatives, state senators. I, I agree. um A lot of people seem to forget, or, or not forget, but. A lot of people tend to focus on um, the folks that are incarcerated literally in in the prison or carceral system and, and tend to forget about that impact of that that's having on the community say that i mean that a lot of the families that have folks that are incarcerated are also suffering or or seemingly mm-hmm. incarcerated with them to a certain degree Yeah, um, you think that that's part of some of the apathy feeling that you know you don't you don't have any power
1: oh yeah for sure for sure I mean um there and there's no example of what it looks like right mm-hmm. so um it's it's such a stronghold and cycle in our communities that that we sit under a weight that we don't understand or know what to do with when it comes to uh political equity and building our own capital political capital, um. And a lot of it happened because like if, if, if a generation grows up without any, without without any of these conversations taking place in their home, without any seeing anyone uh think through community um how they should vote as a community, you know, if these things are happening and, and happening in the home first and foremost, and then not happening in community, then there's no reason to believe that it's just it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it.
2: Right, and I, I I saw some of that. Um, at one point in New Haven, um, I was uh, a co-chair in my ward, and just going out. One of the things that I found frustrating was the the how transitory um some of the neighborhoods that was in my ward was. Um, so when we would go door knocking and get people involved and engaged, we come back the next month or a few months later, and it's it's somebody different there. It's not the same person I'm there. And then we talk to people about you know how to engage, and the powers like you know if you want your side, you straightened out, you want you know the the roads fixed, then you need to you need to have a voice. Um, and and, and it found it frustrating. Also in the in the ward that I, I was in, um, we had about three thousand people that were eligible to vote, and and we were lucky if we got seven hundred people out. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds sounds about accurate. Um. I think that's a that's kind of the norm right now in our communities. That you know that twenty 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 five percent turnout, um, but we don't understand the harm that it does in our communities, like uh, or the power that we can actually utilize. Where you think about how many votes it takes to be an Alderman in New Haven or a councilperson in 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 uh, Hartford or or Bridgeport, or when you think about uh, the margins you need to get on the, the, the border head, you know? Like, we, we talk about these systems, but we don't interact with them. And and that's why, like, if you have, like, I mean, the byproduct of of, of mass incarceration is over-representation is over of our communities in prisons and over-representation of the system in our communities, you know? So, like, this is a chance for us to actually say, okay, you no, know, you no, know, we got lemons. We're going to make some lemonade out of this. Like right now, like we going to uh, strengthen our communities. Like you'll get Chicago, I mean, Illinois' uh, Cook County Prison, Cook County Jail became a a, a, a polling district in Illinois, it's the largest county jail in the country. Mm-hmm. 10, yeah, 10,000 uh, on a, any day between 9,500 and 10,000 incarcerated folks uh, pre trial, right? They also have so since they became a polling district, they have the highest turnout rate. They have a ninety percent turnout rate. Like so, like uh, that's 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 roughly our entire prison population. Right, mm-hmm. our entire in the majority of our prison populations is in Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, Waterbury. Um, those three mostly, but then you have like Waterbury, New Britain, and Stanford that come into play. But you're talking about. Cities that are disengaged in the first three, and the ability to add, you know, two thousand more votes, something in communities like four hundred more votes towards alderman elections in certain neighborhoods, uh, getting people on the board of ed. Like I, you, you see right now in New Haven, that um Troy Streeter was able to win the uh, special election on the vacancy, but that was that was that was pushed by formerly incarcerated. That was a formerly incarcerated movement. Those were men who have been impacted by the system who came out to 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 door knock to 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 galvanize around uh him when winning the seat i think that um
2: i met some of them uh i believe one of the gentlemen i met was uh lord
1: yeah yeah Gaylord saunders yeah so them do them do a, a phenomenal job with that and i think that if we're able to do it earlier you'll see that this is ownership they want to they want to be uh involved in their community in every way possible and they realize that means that we have to have some type of representation
2: and we have to get out and vote and so the earlier that starts no i say i I agree with that i'm a firm believer and i don't remember where i heard this but i use it on time they're not at the table they are going to be on the menu
1: very much so (laughs) and so the the earlier that starts the earlier that starts i think the better the the earlier that we allow people to actually. you know, maintain their humanity and dignity. We live in a country that has tied that to citizenship. So allowing them to maintain uh, those civil liberties um, and and their rights throughout their incarceration allows them to think about their community in a different way, allows them to engage in a different way, um, allows them to create different lanes of ownership and to, to really focus on rehabilitating. Like, uh, it's hard to rehabilitate someone when they're not a whole person, right? You're not, you have to deal with a whole person and the way that we strip rights, the way that we designate, um, those convicted of felony crimes in this country is, um, it is antiquated. It's it's directly tied to to slavery.
2: And, so like, is that how you guys came up with, or is that how the term full citizens coalition came up with that's what how you guys came up with that?
1: Oh, the the term is canards branch out, and, and yeah, it's it's about understanding what it means to be a full citizen in this country, to have all of your rights, to be able to operate and to be able to to take advantage of, 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 of what's there that others have fully um, take advantage of and most take for granted. But before you can even do either, you're stripped in our communities.
2: No taxation so, without representation
1: a ton of it it never stops in our communities it's never been a thing you know and so making sure that 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 part of the playing field is leveled and um it gives us the groundwork to do the work that we need to do and you know not have our hands out not ask anybody or something but figure out how we build and create our own equity
2: you you and the team that you got that you're a part of you guys are tackling things on multiple levels and multiple platforms whether it's in the ivory halls of academia or out on the streets in the barbershops um, you literally are on the front lines and you guys have recently coordinated putting together uh this documentary i believe you guys are on the fourth episode now you guys have touched on the violence in the community uh on the uh impact of the opioid and fentanyl epidemic which has not necessarily really been highlighted the impacts it's, it's had in the urban communities, um, or even juxtaposed to when crack is rampant in our neighborhoods. Um, and then you also talked about coming home. Um, you were a key feature in, in that episode, as well as I believe the fourth episode is dealing with the rap game, you know, sometimes like the crack game, right? You wanna talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so
1: we, we actually have six episodes up, so our fifth ep- episode is called Life After of the Deaf, and it, it um, highlights on uh, the Renaissance the Renaissance District in in Hartford, um, Barber Street, which has pretty much been left in a state uh, since the '69 riots uh, after King's death, um, and they focus on Howard Hill, and you know just someone who is dealing with uh, all these issues in a particular manner because he's dealing with death. Um, and we our sixth episode is the homelessness epi- episode. Um, outside for real, and so the um the docu series is called the Frontlines. It's on YouTube. Um, welcome to the Frontlines. IG, welcome to the Frontlines. Facebook, welcome to the Frontlines. TikTok, welcome to the Frontlines. Um, all these links that show clips uh, mm-hmm. of what we're doing, and the full episodes are on um are on YouTube right now. Um, this came about um in 2021. You know, Canard had been thinking through. Uh, just the way that we are viewed. Um the and and being around like he he does uh work with Mark Jenkins and Andrew Woods and understanding the issues like between our work and their work and seeing the community and being from Harford and just having insight. It was just like, you know, let's 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 put something together that highlights the work that's being done around these issues because it doesn't get done. That part doesn't get done. You know, we we get particular narratives around Around ourselves, we know we see black men mostly either dead in the ground or the back of police cars, but we don't see them at the forefront of issues, at the forefront of innovation, um, at the forefront of trying to uh, save their community. And so, um, changing that narrative and um, looking at just the way that things have kind of exploded um throughout the pandemic in the country, and Hartford being like a a, a great first example of what that looks like, um. So you know, the first episode, of the war going on outside, really looks at just the the, the spike in gun violence, and you know, you're talking about a community that is a city that's 18 square miles, right. um, and one of the most violent cities in the country. And there's no, you have people who are dealing with it on a daily basis, who are intervening, um, in, 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 in and and prevention, and and also in aftercare, you know, and and trying to save this community, and and looking at uh just 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 what that feels and looks like and the work that they've been able to do the lives they've been able to save um in spite of all the loss they've actually saved more lives than they've lost and you know the contrast to that is episode two with fentanyl kills where people are dying so rapidly they're dying so fast we had over 100 uh uh heroin i mean not heroin fentanyl deaths last last year and so you can't like they're losing more lives than they can save, but they're actually saving lives. They're doing in prevention um, in in, in a manner that hasn't been comfortable in this country because everybody wants everybody to be clean. And so harm reduction is super important because everybody's not ready to get clean and and you need to, but they need to be alive. In order to get to that place, they gotta be alive. And so, you know, looking at the work that Connecticut Harm Reduction Alliance does and, Know, the life-saving measure that, that 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 they've taken by moving in a uh, in, in in harm reduction as opposed to just recovery because you know uh, homelessness has spiked because of the fentanyl uh uh epidemic as well as you know for other reasons and i mean i, th- I think that you we do probably the most uh 360 like holistic view of, of, of what's happening in our communities um and look at it through a lens that 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 isn't often put out front. You know, or we, we get the narratives of papers and we get the narratives of the news, but to look at those are doing the work. Um and I think you see it in every episode. And, and you and you know, you get the hope episode, of like the rap game is a mommy of the mommy of the crack game, is a very much a, a hopeful episode. Like uh we watch somebody have overcome a lot to make it out of Hartford know to make it to uh, a a different level of success that the state has never seen um in in hip hop
2: from homegrown talent you know so um i so and- I would ask you two things um because one of the things uh one of the words that you keep using I think is really important is narrative um having control of your own narrative or having folks be able to tell their own story and, and show them um sense of dignity and being able to tell their own story as opposed to being controlled by by someone else. Um and then the also you guys are as you said saving lives and doing a lot of work. Who who helps you guys? Because that's that's some tough work that you guys are doing. And who so who takes care of the caretakers? How do you guys how do you guys recharge? So those are two questions I would have of hey, your own narrative and then how he takes care of the characters yeah I, i'm
1: learning um i got um i'm learning from andrew woods and mark jenkins on how to take care of myself like um i remember andrew had to slow me down one day he asked me how was i doing and i immediately started talking about work and he had to stop me and say Yo, i ain't ask you about work you I know, know. <laughs> he said you let's slow down like i ain't you um, know you know so i'm learning um, but I mean, we take care of one another as, as, as much as possible, but I, I realize that that can also, um, doesn't always work. Like there are things that people need to unravel and deal with that, that takes a uh, professional help. And, um, so, uh, that, and that's still something that I wrestle with seeing someone professionally, but, uh, um, the stuff
2: you do is down a 95 gig,
1: no, nah, not at all, not at all. And so, um. Yeah, but, I, you know, I, I think uh, that's something to still be, like, figured out, at least for me, and the most of all, like, I'm still figuring it out.
2: It's important, man. I want you to definitely keep that in mind as you are out there doing the work with your team and you guys are looking out for each other. That's an important question he, he asked you is, how are you doing? You know, because you get so wrapped up in this and you get so involved in it sometimes, you know, don't look at your own self, and you can't pour from an empty cup. Bro. Very much, yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh. The um, yeah, a little bit more time here. Um, I, I want to dive back into that controlling your own narrative aspect of of the work that you guys are doing. Um, because a lot of the times, the work that's being done goes unseen, and and it's not a lot. And it's not to say that the work that the the thing that you guys are doing, the documenting, you're not, you're not doing it saying, hey, look at me. I'm doing this. Da, 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 da. I'm saving. I'm, you're, not, you're not doing it for those reasons. Um, but a lot of the work that goes on, especially a lot of the work that goes on by people that look like you and know, myself, it does go unnoticed. And um, I think having that narrative is, is super important. If you could just share in um, these closing moments about that, I'd appreciate it
1: yeah um I'm saying hi to Jackie. just seen Jackie pop up it's my yes. <laughs> um yeah um it I, I mean for me it is a big up like not not of myself but so Andrew, andrew and Mark have been committed doing this work, and there are some they are they're not just connecticut leaders in, 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 in work and 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 working thought they're national leaders in working thought and that doesn't get recognized. That, you know they they are national figures in 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 the state because of the uh, the way that they're approaching these these national issues these are issues that are affecting every city um a- across this country um and you know they're, they data the OG, they deserve to have a light shine on the work that they're doing. people need to see it and I think that it's uh, um the ability to visualize like to me this is like a visual white paper. Um, it's, it's completely head and heart, like you get like, um, episode two is very hard to watch, but it's, it's one of the most, uh, pressing issues of our time right now. And, you know, I know people are teaching us, watch this on colleges, on college campuses. And, and so like that, those are the impl- implications of what's being created, that people are learning and, um, having conversations around issues that they have no knowledge of. Uh, and, and that, that's like the most important, uh, uh, factor, um, for us is that the exposure, um, you know, and we don't under, understand that it's a vicarious exposure, but it's not for the sake of of, of. of uh, it's okay. not. Yeah, it's not National Geographic. You know, this this is like, here's the issue. Here's those who are working on it and they're really working on it. These are the trusted voices, you know, and that needs to be highlighted.
2: Well, thank you for your time, uh, James. Always appreciated chopping up with you. I know we keep saying we're going to catch up. haven't done i look forward to the moment when we actually get to do it man man. Um, keep up the great work and i'm sure we'll be in touch running a lot of the same circles and doing great work all of you and your crew mr ray everybody that you mentioned you know you got ogs in hartford you got ogs in new haven ogs everywhere doing this work so appreciate it thank you for your time sir thanks for having us always look forward to having you again
0: definitely bye jack
2: Hello, 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 hello. This is Jacqueline James. Hi,
4: how are you, Mr. Bloodworth? Hello,
2: I want to thank you for joining us today. We want to um, catch up with you to speak about some of the work that you're doing with your new program um, and movement, the Next Level Empowerment Program. And I believe you guys also have an actual panel discussion coming, so I want to talk a little bit about that, too. So, But if you could, please introduce yourself. I know you are a person who wears many hats. So if you could do, just give us a brief introduction and tell us about your new venture and we can get into that more
4: hi mr bloodworth thank you for having me today um yes my name is jacqueline james i am a lifelong resident of the city of new haven um sat on the board of aldermen for 15 years was a social worker for dcf for 15 years Worked for the New Haven school system and several um, consulted with several social service agencies in the city of New Haven. Um, Currently, I am working for Retreat Behavioral Health as a marketer, um, and we are a mental health and substance abuse inpatient treatment program. Um, Just finished working with um, the state of Connecticut DPH as a consultant on working with um, COVID clinics, actually overseeing the logistics of clinics um, around the state of Connecticut. Um, And recently co-founded Next Level Empowerment Program with my husband, Ray Boyd, um, who was previously incarcerated for approximately 30 years. Um, He was sentenced for a crime he committed at 17, has since been released on November 15, 2021. Um, he's doing some amazing work. He was recently hired by the Yale Law School Racial and Social Justice Center as a project manager to do some community work um, and some national work. So we are excited um, about the work that we are getting ready to embark upon um, in the state of Connecticut. Um, what we are looking at um, is building a two one one warm line for returning citizens and their family. Um, we are looking to build a system of support, um, what we consider a net, um, a referral service pipeline so that returning citizens and their families who are in need of social um, emotional clinical consu- and clinical support can actually get the appropriate services. Also medical, um, I think is key in this for us. Um, so we are looking to build this with partnerships um locally and statewide. Um, we've recently um, partnered with the city of New Haven, um, Dejanet Tally, who is working with us on this, and um, recently the Yale U- um, Yale Undergraduate Prison Project um, will also be working with us on this project. So we are very, very excited.
2: No, well, that's awesome. Great work. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of continuity of care when individuals are released from imprisonment. In the carceral system here, or absolutely, um, they have a higher rate of morbidity and mortality. So it's very important if you know if someone has served their time that they get the health um, care that they need, so they can get back and join and reintegrate fully into the community.
4: Exactly, and not just them, but tr- looking at this on a very holistic manner, where we're we're also working with the families and the individuals and in the homes that they're returning to. Um, What we find quite often is when someone has done 10, 20 and 30 years and go back to a family or go back to the community, there's this misconception that they are still the same person they were prior to incarceration. And what we're finding is that. A lot of the men that are coming home after doing these long amount of sentences are actually much more developed than the folks that they re- return home to. In the sense where they've done some work with educating themselves and they've done some work around um, mental health issues. Um, and sometimes there's uh, there's this level of discord because they think little Johnny is still little Johnny when little Johnny is actually 45 and 50 years old. Um, so what we see is that recidivism is high amongst um, returning citizens. Um, and we see that within the first three years, if we're not providing proper and appropriate services and coordinating care, um, that again, recidivism is, is a main issue for those returning home.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I, I would I I would counter with you in, in some degree. There are a lot of folks that are released and they come back different than, than they were. But there are also some individuals that are released and they may be stuck in a moment uh, and traumatized, whereas the world has moved on. They may be stuck in that moment, um, however young that they were when they went in. There is as you said, there's a lot of trauma to be dealt with, and some folks may not have necessarily dealt with that. And then also the reintegration into the family can be tough. Uh, I think there are some models out there that look and say that it's important to start that work, um, or actually re-entry should start as soon as somebody is entered into the system, but it, it doesn't often happen. But when you're trying to transition out, working with an individual and coordinating those care uh, resources um, is important to, re- to really start anywhere between six and 12 months before they release.
4: And, and um, Earl, you're absolutely right. Our plan is actually to work with them at least a year prior to coming home um, and do, do some pre-release work. But there are a lot that are still stuck. There are a lot that have a lot, there's a lot of trauma and they're, they don't deal with that level of trauma while incarcerated for so many reasons. Um, and so our hope is along with the 211 to provide ongoing case management services for returning citizens, and do a weekly drop-in group um, where it's peer-to-peer ran, and all of our programs are actually going to be peer-to-peer ran, um, with the exception of myself. Again, my husband and we have a team of returning citizens that will pr- be providing the care and service um, to other returning citizens. We think it's that it, we think it's very important um, that people returning home have someone that can relate and understand um, some of the struggles and strides. Um, and and their level of incarceration and what that looked like um, prior to and, and coming home. So you're absolutely right. Um, we also find that technology is a key component um, that a lot of our returning citizens are having extreme difficulty with. So um, one of the things we do want to focus on is being able to provide um, a very innovative program that offers Um, support with technology, interfacing with the cell phone, the ATM, right? Everything, you know, uh, my Mm -hmm. husband came home um, and right. Our refrigerator, right. Has a uh, TV and it's computerized and our soul and and everything. And prior to him being incarcerated, right. It was very different. So um, and we're finding that a lot of the men and women coming home are definitely having some issues with technology, um, it's important that we strategically offer these classes and services because the working world, right, we have this expectation that they come out and they get a job, but the world in itself and the and the employment that they go into generally will have some level of technology where they need to have a very clear understanding of that.
2: Um, yeah. So you're right. Got about two minutes. Digital literacy is definitely important, but I wanted to focus this last couple of minutes on the community conversation that you guys have coming up with the topic of civic death and a new life for returning citizens. Yes. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And I do have a comment from some people that I've shared the information uh, with um, that where the women at on the panel. I know you Ray
4: got- is on the phone. So, Ray, can you speak to that? Yeah. I see that he's on the call yeah. um, and would love for him to speak to you about the panel. Um, if he can take his phone off from you. Have you, uh, is he in the call?
2: Yep, is on, he just needs to unmute.
4: Okay, I'm
0: on mute. Um, well, with regards to the, the speaking engagement that we have coming up, and with civic death and what does life look like for the return of citizen, we know that, um, well, well, civic death has many different, uh, def- many different definitions for the individual that may be uh, dealing with, trying to um, deal with perception of what, civic death means to him. Civic death to me is just the inability for one to come home and uh, navigate his way back or transition his way back into the community without the barriers that's been put before him. Um, What does life life look like for the return of citizen? Uh, With regards to that, you know, we have myself, we have Mr. Miko, and um, there's countless others that could have stood on this panel and told society what life looks like for them. And life is, uh, it, it, it has many different shapes and forms for many different individuals. And the majority of our individuals, specifically for the city of New Haven, we have 900 individuals returning to the city of New Haven each year from um, being incarcerated. And uh, civic death is definitely out there. If we have at least 600 of these men uh, having contact with the authorities or being um, placed back in to the institutions within the first three years of the, them coming home. So Next Level is here to ta- touch on that and uh, find out what can we do better than what we've already been doing to make sure that the, the uh, transition for our return citizens and the city of New Haven, as well as the state, because we intend to make this uh, organization a statewide organization. Uh, what does that look like? And are there is there really life after incarceration? You know, for our our black and brown men that are returning back into the community, you know, how many? How do we begin to tear down these barriers so that we can make sure and ensure that one is uh, seeking life after a term of incarceration is not becoming a part of of a recidivist system?
2: Got thirty seconds, Mr. Boy. Want to give the location and the time of the program?
0: The location of the program is at Next Haven. That's at 169 Henry Street on February 28th between the hours of 6 and 8 p.m. We uh, would like for everyone to come out. Um, everyone has an opinion, everyone is a stakeholder in this. If you're a citizen of, of, of the city of New Haven or you're a citizen of the state of Connecticut, you're a stakeholder in this because it reaches your taxpayer dollars. Uh, to house individuals that are incarcerated and also can lower your taxpayer dollars once we have these men transitioning back into the community, becoming employable and viable citizens. Yeah. We have more time to have you guys back on this oh, As yeah. I got another round. never on my mission. I'm roll with what I'm getting. new of the myself. And was missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment.